It's your Kali. What's up? Hey, y'all. What's up? You're about to listen to facts, stories, interviews, gossip, live music, booty bump and beats, and much more fascinating things that will be so stunning, there's a possibility that your mind will blow. This show will start five, four, three, two, one. Pop Up Youth Radio is a project of Yolokali Arts Reach and is a youth-led, community-centered, pop-up internet radio program. This show was recorded at Cafeteria Yesenia in Back of the Yards on July 31st, 2019 in collab with The Gate newspaper. Enjoy a conversation behind the articles that are published in the special summer issue of The Gate newspaper, written by you. Uh, we are Pop-Up Youth Radio broadcasting live from Cafeteria Yesenia, located in Back of the Yards neighborhood at 4244 South Ashton Avenue. Today we'll be talking about a collaboration with The Gate newspaper with the students from Yolokali's journalism internship program. Students wrote a series of articles about the Little Village community, immigration, the environment, culture, business, and also touched base on the back of the yards community and education for POC students. Thank you so much, Yesenia, for hosting us today, and let's get started. So we're here with our first guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Gloria Talamantes, also go by Glow. A lot of you all know me that way. I am the editor of the Gate newspaper in Back of the Yards. It's a Back of the Yard Neighborhood Council publication. It's been in print and in circulation for nine years now. What led to this collaboration with the Gate and Yolokali? Well, I work with a lot of Yolokali youth and the relationship already it just was a very organic uh, collaboration. And also the reasons why the collaboration happened were because of some of the things that are happening in general. A lot of the things that are happening are affecting our communities. A lot of very similar things happen here that happen in Little Village. And so I thought it was a very interesting way to collaborate and write about the similarities between the neighborhoods. What's the mission of the gate? Our mission is to empower community residents, young people, and to offer them a platform and news that's relevant to them. How many uh, newspapers do you typically pass out to neighborhoods? So typically, we now print monthly. The Gate newspaper was a bi-weekly and bilingual newspaper, and um, now we print Spanglish articles sometimes, and um, hopefully we'll be having some bilingual articles pretty soon. And it's 5,000 copies that circulate throughout the southwest side. So our crew delivers to parts of Little Village, Pilsen, McKinley Park, Canaryville, uh, Gage Park, Brighton Park, uh, Inglewood, Back of the Yards. Do you believe that it's an important part of the community? I believe it is. I think a lot of times we don't necessarily know how our communities are being covered. I think we look at mainstream media to do some of that, and I think community journalism is very important for us to look at how we are being talked about, how we're being represented in the media, and to have these opportunities to have our work published. 
How can students and other young people in these communities get more involved? The Gate newspaper has a strong presence on Facebook, and we also have a website. They can also contact me at my email um, or contact the editor email. It's editor at thegatenewspaper.com, or they can call our office as well. All right, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Remember, we are Pop-Up Youth Radio, broadcasting from Cafeteria Yesenia here at Back of the Yards. I'm Cynthia. And I'm Adrian. And now we have our next guest, Sydney. Would you like to introduce yourself? Um, my name is Sydney Rodriguez. I'm a photographer and graphic designer for The Gate. Um, right now, I'm about to be a sophomore at UIUC, studying graphic design and advertising. So what would you say is your favorite thing working with photography? I started off doing it in high school, just like event photography, but as I've gotten more involved with photojournalism, I've realized how much fun it is to interact with the community and kind of get to know them and just see that shift from them being a little bit more to themselves to becoming a little bit more open and comfortable with the camera being around. Would you say that you try to like tell a story with your pictures or do you let your pictures speak for themselves? Um, I definitely do shoot to tell a story. I try to make sure that everything I have out there is really concentrated on whatever the story may be, or it could just be on its own and have its own context. What's your favorite thing about shooting for the gate? Well, I grew up in Back of the Yards, um, and I went away for college, and when I came back, I realized how much Back of the Yards as a whole has shaped me and who I am. So I feel coming back and Working with the gate, the community's helped a lot with just meeting the residents here. And that's my favorite part. So how proud are you to have designed the cover for this month's issue? It was definitely a lot of work. It's just kind of a big collage of some of the pictures I've collected. I've had a lot of different designs, but I think this one's been my favorite one. So yeah, I think it's pretty good. Where did inspiration for the cover come from? I know you said it's a collage of a variety of pictures and I assume a variety of events as well. Um, so this one's for the summer issue, so I kind of wanted it to be kind of like a flashback of like the summer and just kind of a recap of some of the events that have happened in the neighborhood. So I try to capture a lot of youth in it just because a lot of the events were youth like, involved. So, yeah. What would you say is your favorite thing to photograph? Probably people, portraits. Something really intimate, I think, to like be up close with someone and kind of capturing that moment of them kind of getting comfortable. I know there's like a variety of um, types of photography that people prefer to photograph their pets and other people prefer sightseeing and then portraits is also one of them. Yeah. What do you usually do with the gate? Is there anything that you do outside of the gate with pictures and photography? So right now I have two internships. So outside of the gate, I work with a photographer downtown. His name's David Johnson, and I just work with him and his photo work and his nonprofit, uh, True Chicago. So it's a little bit of everything, but I'm kind of refining my skills and learning with either Gloria or him every day. Yeah. 
So taking pictures is usually what keeps you busy during um, this time? Yeah, I do, like, graphic design is, like, my major, but I think it goes hand-in-hand hand with the photography. So, yeah, it's definitely what I do all summer. How about you, Glow? How did you feel of her cover for this month? I really like it. I think she did a really great job focusing in on the events that happened throughout the neighborhood. And also, I think it's a good image of what the recap is of the summer. And there's still so much more that's going to happen throughout the summer, for sure. Um, but Sydney has a really good eye for little details that I think every newspaper usually has like their own vision for. But I think for the gate particularly, it really helped that Sydney grew up here and that she knows the neighborhood and also knows how to represent the people that live in back of the yards. Uh, would you both agree that some of the pictures help tie in the story? they add something that might be missing that the words don't convey. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely do think seeing the people that are involved in each event or like the youth definitely does give it a little bit more. Sometimes like you recognize the people in the paper, so I, it's kind of like you connect a little bit more because it's people you know, familiar faces, I guess. And I, I think photojournalism, I think is the most important components of a newspaper as much as the writing. Um, there are sometimes, as a visual artist myself, I think that sometimes there are things that don't necessarily translate into writing, but photography can definitely pull that in for the audience that's reading it. And sometimes it captures your emotion that you really can't describe as well. As much as sometimes writers like to be very descriptive about things, there are some emotions and or actions within the shots that are taken that tell a different story or maybe gravitate more towards someone who's more visual at learning and um, reading. So I think it, it's definitely important. It definitely brings a different vibe. Yeah, I think sometimes they also help. Like reading it is one thing, but the emotion you get from a picture is like a completely different one. I know you, you said the cover is kind of a collage of things that happen throughout the summer. Would you say there's one like specific picture that's your favorite from the whole cover? Um, probably the one that's uh, bottom right, the portrait of the man. It wasn't planned. We were shooting an event and we just kind of saw the pump open and we saw the kids playing in it and we kind of gravitated towards someone who was just watching. And yeah, we, Gloria talked to him and I just asked for his picture and he was a little caught off guard but yeah I think that one might be it was so unplanned and definitely feel like I captured his personality a little bit through that I actually have the same photo that is my favorite and I think it's a very good portrait at least in my eyes it's a very good portrait but I think for me it's the all-encompassing experience so you know just seeing the fire hydrant open from afar and being in the block party I was just like I need to go over there I was like let's go and I think out of the blue experience is always brings different things, different connections with people, and just a different overall experience. Yeah. Talking to him was really neat because he was just visiting back of the yards. He was visiting his family, and he was just sitting down and watching the kids play across the street in the water. Um, and I think that whole moment is captured just by his portrait. So I think that's my favorite photo. I don't, I don't think you could pick that up from the picture itself, but that's a really cool story. So thank you guys very much, Glow and Sydney, for being here with us today. Remember, you're listening to Pop-Up Youth Radio, broadcasting live from Yesenia's. I'm Cynthia. And I'm Eugene. And we'll be right back.
Hello, you're back with Yolokali Pop Up Youth Radio. Um, we're at Cafeteria Yesenias, and this is Andrea. And I'm Gio. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have two guests over here from The Gate. Let's go by a different article. So, like, we'll be talking about house services. Gio wrote an article about trans like housing in La Villita. So, Gio's gonna tell us a little bit about that article and the story that he wrote. Do you want to get started on that? Sure. So I wrote my story on trans issues and the community and how they need housing. I feel like a lot of people tend to forget from the community of the LGBTQ plus that there are still like a minority within that minority and that is the trans community. And so in Pride Month, I met up with this beautiful trans woman named Tanya Cordoba and she's been working on housing for the trans community and Little Village. And so she told me her stories on how she's been arrested just for being in the streets doing nothing just because she was clockable, which if y'all don't know what clockable means, it's just like, um, like let's say when drag queens, you know, like they're getting ready or whatnot, if they still have manly features, they're clockable. But mm-hmm. if they are, if they look very feminine, they look like, you know, like a biological woman, they're, they're not clockable. Mm. So, so that's kind of like a little term, you know, you know, educating y'all. <laughs> and so <laughs> Tanya would get arrested for that. Um, also, she came to the U.S. She's from Mexico. She's an indigenous woman, which makes it even harder for her transition. Her family abandoned her at 15. And yeah, she's been motivated to create these shelters for trans women ever since she identified as Tanya. Wait, when you talked about clockable, like with the transphobia that exists within just generally causes people to kind of criminalize them in a way? Yeah, so if somebody, let's say, it, you can see like their five o'clock shadow or something, you oh, know? Okay. Um, police officers usually would, just because they're transphobic, they'll find the reason to put them, you know, in el bote. Mm. And why did you decide to write a story about this? Well, for me, I identify as gay. I'm from the LGBTQ plus community. And so I found it was really important to give my trans sister, you know, the platform because she has the voice. She just needs the platform. And I interviewed her and she's really sweet. Just like learning from her that the trans community, they have to do a lot of things in order to be who they are and be accepted. Like they are the majority of the homeless people out in these streets. And a lot of the reasons why they can't find homes is because, you know, this whole clockable idea. They can't go and get a job because people don't find them to be in their standards. You know, companies don't see them as actual people. They find them as mentally ill. And so they have to usually deal with, you know, selling drugs or prostitution, which is majority of the jobs that they have to do in order to make a living. So I think it's important that she should be heard because in Little Village, you know, we live in a very like machismo kind of environment so with that being said like a lot of the people who are trans and homeless are people of color and this majority are youth so she wants to create this space for the trans youth and also for trans women who've been detained by ICE or been incarcerated so I think it's important just to know that there's a hope for that and it'll probably like just stop like kids from running away their homes or being kicked out of homes so families can actually understand how to deal with a trans kid. Mm. Yeah, um, and what new information did you learn from this story? Like what popped out at you? What was something that you didn't know before that now you know um, after talking to her? Well, one thing that 
I didn't know was that it was really hard for them to change their names here in Chicago, which I kind of find a little odd because ever since, you know, like Stonewall happened, Illinois was one of the like supporters for the LGBT. So I was just kind of like, hmm, it's really it's hard for a trans woman to change their name like that, especially for Tanya, because she told me how she had to go back to Mexico in order to change her mm. her name for like her birth certificate or things like that. But like, she has political asylum, so she can't go back to Mexico in order to change her name. Mm. Yeah. So it's really hard. That's one thing I didn't know that it was hard. I mean, I don't know. I just thought it was easy, but it's supposedly not. No, yeah, because um, I think the deal is that like when you seek asylum, you can't return back to the country where you sought asylum from, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that makes it like even harder yeah. to kind of jump through hoops to be able to, to get a name change. So that's unfortunate. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Oh, of course. Um, so I don't know if we wanted to go down the line and like talk a little bit more. Um, yes. Do y'all want to introduce yourselves? Because we have two people from the gate right here that wrote articles. So, okay. so hi, uh, my name is Marlene Gongora. Um, I'm junior editor and reporter at the Gate newspaper, and I'm an upcoming sophomore um, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where I'm going to be studying journalism. Mm, cool. Yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself. Name, like a little bit more about yourself. Um, so I'm Sydney Rodriguez. Um, I was just here, but I'm filling in for Michelle Gongora. Um, she's an uprising uh, senior at Back of the Arts College Prep. What about you? <laughs> um, I'm about to be a sophomore at UIUC studying graphic design and advertising. Oh, cool, cool, cool. cool. Yeah. So um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about like the story that you wrote? Yeah. Okay, so the story I just wrote for the upcoming Gates issue I focused on the new collection um, that Bands Off the Wall came out with, a new collection of shoes, and they partnered up with this other organization named Vaults, so the new collection is named Vaults by Bands Frida Kahlo. So the shoes portray images of Frida Kahlo's work and herself, and they're selling them for like around 80 to $95, and they're only at select Vaults stores. And so I sort of just wrote about that, in my opinions, on like the collection itself. Yeah. Um, what's your opinion on Frida and how Frida also was someone that like took a lot from indigenous cultures and she was the one that also like profited a lot on indigenous um, people because of the way that like she wore her clothes. Also like people argue that like she was at the end of the day like a white woman and she did little to advocate for indigenous people. So the fact that like there are certain things like being portrayed, or like her image is like used around things. A lot of people kind of like, this is karma. Like I've seen people like argue like, oh, well, like what she gets for like profiting off of like indigenous culture and therefore like kind of rising to the top. Um, but I think also people forget like she was a disabled woman. Her mom was actually from Oaxaca and like there's a difference between the way like your skin color looks and the, um, the places that like you grow up. So what is your opinions and thoughts about that? So, um I was inspired by this, to write this article when I first saw a Facebook post and it was made by Me Too and they were just promoting the new collection. And so when I saw the comments on the post, I just saw like mixed reviews but, like by all like fans of her. Um, some people were like really excited about the shoes to be like able to like represent um, their culture like on their shoes and everything. And then there was other people who were saying that Frida wouldn't approve and like I guess that story comes from like what you had just mentioned that it's karma, it's what she gets for like you know, not promoting indigenous culture the way she should have. But at this point, like, I, what I focus mostly 
in my article was not her past and mostly about like what she has become now. Mm -hmm. So now she's like an icon, like a figure in our Hispanic community and culture. And what I focused on in my article is how white corporations such as bands are taking our culture away from us just to like, for their own benefit, to like make profit out of it. But are they really like, they don't give us enough credit. And then in the article I also mentioned like other situations such as a um, Carolina Herrera dresses where an indigenous um, woman was fighting mm -hmm. to receive credit for um, designs that were stolen that she had made. Was it Forever 21 or h and I don't know, I remember it was. Forever. It was, it was Forever? Yeah. Okay, Forever does everything bad, yeah. <laughs> but we still go there. So, so, that gets <laughs> so that's mostly like what I focused on, um, about that like aspect that um, give more credit to our like local artisans who like work really hard to like create these designs and like make prop, like most of their profit is made out of that. So yeah. That's interesting. I have all sorts of thoughts about that. I don't know if other people have thoughts, but like, I know for, um, for me, obviously, like, I think like certain people should be, I find it weird that you profit off of like a certain figure mm -hmm. or I feel like she's been just like reused and remade so much that I've become kind of like, oh, like, yawn, yeah. like yeah. how much importance does this actually have, you know? Yeah. And then it also comes into question or like into the light is how she's the only Mexican female artist that we actually like pay attention to but there's like many more artists who like mm. put a lot of hard work into their artwork and stuff and they're not as recognized as her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I my friends often joke about like the way that like we talk about, for example, it's not just like Frida, but it's also like people always like talk about Selena. Yeah. All the time. All yeah. the time. Yeah. Or they talk about conchas. So mm -hmm. you see people like Me Too, Remezcla, like you see a lot of like these other people like kind of like profiting off of like this like Concha Selena Frida yeah. type of trio <laughs> thing. That's what my friends always talk about, like Concha Selena Frida. Um, all these like three different like things. And it kind of gets, I don't know, it's so repetitive. And then people think it's, um, it's mono, like it's monolithic, so yeah. like it encompasses all of like Latinx culture when like people within like own ethnic groups. Because um, I know like you said like oh it like represents like Hispanic culture, but like I think it re represents a specific type of like um, Chicanismo sometimes. Yeah. And Chicanismo, as we know, like is is mostly Mexican. Yeah. So like it doesn't even represent like a lot of people. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's just very interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know if people have other opinions. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting topic and yeah. I feel we should be having these conversations. So uh, we're gonna wrap it up over here with these interviews. Um, so thank you so much. Remember to tune in. Um, we're at Cafeteria Yesenias um, and we'll be back after a short break. So thank you so much um, and continue.
Uh, thank you so much for tuning in at Cafeteria Yesenia's in Back of the Arts. Um, I'm Andrea, we have Sebastian, Oscar, and Cynthia with us today. So we'll just be talking about businesses and the environment. So keep listening. So first off, I think we're gonna get into an interesting story from the summer. Andrea, would you like to speak on your piece? Yes, I would like to speak on my piece. Um, so I wrote a piece about the effects of global warming on street vendors. And the reason that I decided to focus on this piece was because um, right now we're seeing a lot of work being done in La Villita in regards to the space that's more like industrial and so like a lot of factories there. Um, and basically there's this plan to kind of expand that like site and that would increase the amount of diesel fuel and diesel fuel traffic. And so basically the thing that we need to understand about global warming is that global warming is caused by uh, certain greenhouse gases that are in the air. And so Little Village has like a really high concentration of greenhouse gases or at least like a lot of toxins in like the air because of the proximity that it has to uh, industrial sites. So it's important to remember that, but also street vendors are the people that are like in most contact with the environment and they're the ones that are um, out there day to day working. And if it wasn't for basically like the reason that they're out there every day is kind of like based off of like how the weather is. So if it's really, really cold, um, they're gonna be selling certain types of things. Um, but what I wrote in the piece is also like global warming doesn't just affect like their day to day, but it has like also a lot of like um, different effects. For example, when we have global warming, um, that means that we get kind of off season. So the reason that summer started like super, super late is because we already have global warming happening. And what happens in that case is that we have prolonged like raining seasons and we have rain when we're not supposed to getting rain and crops can be like overwatered and therefore they can or they can grow like really, really fast, like early on, and therefore the crop goes to waste. Or let's say like there's an overproduction of certain types of fruits and vegetables, then those vegetables like start losing their value, um, and therefore like the people that like sell them like won't really get a profit out of it. So everything's kind of tied uh, when we think about capitalism, when we think about money and how much money um, like these foods are costing and how much profit people are making, um, we have to be like mindful that like it's all connected and we can't just think of the environment as just the environment. We have to think about the environment and how it affects a whole community. Um, and these street vendors like talk to me about what it's like to be out there day to day um, and basically that there's a lot of challenges that they face because of the weather. Um, also keeping in mind that like Chicago summers are really, really, really hot. And so like they also kind of had to take care of themselves like from a day-to-day -day basis. And there's people in the community fighting um, for better like climate, um, or I guess not climate change, but environmental change in Little Village. And so um, I'm hopeful that things are, are changing and there's people in the community that are um, creating that change. Um, but it is, it is just kind of fascinating to kind of think about how everything's tied together. So when we talk about global warming, making sure that we talk about people that might not always be talked about. Where would you say um, was your main focus of where you collected your information? I know you said you talked to some street vendors. How was that experience? Oh, that experience was fun. I went with Cynthia, <laughs> who's right next to me, um, and she basically like, showed me around. And um, it was really interesting because uh, I talked to like a street vendor, and something that she said was that this job doesn't only rely on her, but it also relies on 
um, like other people rely on the job that she has. So she hires people that are students to come over um, and help her work. And she says that like when there's no work, then those students also can't go to work. And so these are invaluable skills that like people are learning over the summer and they have an opportunity to kind of make a little bit more cash. And so that affects them. And that's not something that I was originally thinking about when I went out to, to find the stories. I didn't think I was gonna get that. She also mentioned wind. And I didn't think that wind was originally something that could be affected by like um, global warming, but it is. Uh, wind is still like part of the climate and it changes. So um, when we get a lot of wind, that's also part of like the changing weather or the changing environment. And so it's important to, to recognize that like wind has a direct effect on like street vendors. So like the woman talked about getting her like cart kind of like pushed over by the wind. So that was really interesting. Would you say that was the most interesting thing you learned while writing your story or was there something else? Mm, I think that was really interesting and also learning more about like the concentration of like um, greenhouse gases in that environment and how I think um, afterwards I've been learning a lot more about the environmental injustices in Little Village um, and something cool was that there's a lot of, uh, there's, Little Village has the least amount of green space compared to other neighborhoods. So that was also really cool um, to learn about, but bad overall. Do you guys have any questions over her story or like what she learned? Or comments. Comments. <laughs> well, for one, I, um, I think it's uh, pretty interesting what we just heard now about, you know, wind. I had no idea that the, um, you know, that um, global warming had an effect on it. You know, I imagine that maybe with the rising heat, again, the winds do get stronger, so that does make sense. Um, and, you know, just throw it out there, apparently uh, cow farts count towards global warming, so, you know, just keep that in mind. <laughs> well, yeah, like the animal production, right? Like, if uh, a lot of people argue that, like, if that's why we need to stop eating, like, more meat. I don't, I think that, like, big corporations are at fault for all of this, and you can't tell someone, oh, if you throw that piece of paper away in the trash can instead of recycling, like, that's, like, an environmental challenge. No, there's, like, other ones, so... That's my little rant. <laughs> you know, and, and that completely makes sense because we have this, you know, we have, a, we have a high demand for all these products, for all the food that we consume here as a country, and we have all these farms where we keep these cows, we keep this, you know, chickens, we keep all types of farm life on these, on these plots of land, and uh, the truth be told is it's like, you know, it's not just our car, it's not just the diesel, and it's not just all these other fumes going into the air. And, you know, we as human beings contribute in our own way, factories, hint, hint. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we've got these uh, farm animals right here just letting it rip. And all these just combine and go into the atmosphere and slowly deteriorating what little shield we have left around the earth to keep us from, like, cooking alive. This is true, yes. Uh, so what would you say is the final message you want people to take away from your story? I think that we should be... Um, Blaming large corporations, for example, ExxonMobil, um, who um, takes a lot of the fossil fuels, um, and we should start moving towards renewable energy. I know it's hard, um, but we need to focus on that. But I also think that we should stop placing the um, responsibility on people turning vegetarian or turning vegan, because I think these are like really small, 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 like really um, like insignificant type of changes that we need to be making and we should be holding big corporations and big companies, um, for example, like a lot of like the gas companies responsible for making changes in the way that they collect um, things and they release things into the environment. 
that's what I think we should be doing. Because as much as like these like vegans try to tell us not to eat meat, that doesn't make a difference. And there's been studies that show that. Um, and I also think that it's irresponsible, culturally irresponsible, because like I think that um, meat is uh, like obtaining, for example, like certain types of meat. That's like a form of like food and necessity for a lot of people, especially like indigenous people um, and that have been like farming the land and taming the land. So. That's my little rant. Um, I've been going on those. I want to hear someone else um, talk about this, but. <laughs> um, so, I think yeah. we're just gonna jump right into the next story. Um, we have Sebastian here. Would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, uh, my name's Sebastian. I'm 17 years of age, and uh, the story I worked on was about uh, corner stories, small businesses, and little village. So, what do you think was the main focus of your story? I think the main focus was just like you know, just talking to. Like, just hoping to find, like, corner store that would, like, be able to open up to me and, like, talk to me about, like, how they run their stuff, you know? Um, why did you decide to uh, make a story about the corner store? Uh, I don't know. I just I thought it was interesting. So, like, you know, I just went with it. Uh, was there something interesting? I, I guess this is both for Oscar and Sebastian. Uh, something interesting you learned while you were interviewing the corner store while gathering all the information for this? Uh, I think something that was interesting was that like not a lot of cornerstores wanted like to get interviewed because like I don't know I think they just feared us like, they just didn't want to open up so there was definitely yeah. this like looming shadow over the area that we could touch on in a little bit but um, right now yes the focus primarily when it comes to the corner stores was because of the cultural aspect the traditional aspect because yeah. we have these corner stores that are like all over little village area. And it's not something that I would consider common, you know, in most places. So certainly see that a lot more in, of course, you know, Mexico. We made sure that uh, we made the ties there. And we went into the store with an open mindset. Interviewed a cashier whose name was Veronica. She was very kind and immediately volunteered to answer any and all questions we had. Um, in doing so, we learned that not only was she actually you know, visiting Mexico to see her father every now and then. We also learned that, you know, going there every now and then, she got to visit some corner stores, and she noticed that it is definitely, you know, some, it's, it's definitely, like, incorporated into the culture there in Mexico. Like, you have these corner stores here that provide not only, you know, a convenience, but necessities in neighborhoods that, you know, would otherwise require you to go further out, whereas, you know, as a family, you probably have to go all the way to, you know, who knows where, like, like Food for Less or, or a Walmart to get your groceries. But whereas you got your corner store in, in your um, street, you know, you could just go down there to the corner and grab, you know, who knows what something. She actually said the like, majority of the items bought were, you know, usually, you know, like beans or tortillas. Just quick necessities and just get them down. And the link that we made between that was that, you know, life here in Little Village is almost like life in Mexico in a way because of the way that these corner stores are incorporated, not just as conveniences to our, you know, um, in our neighborhood, but also the way that we utilize them just as they do over there. Yeah, I think corner stores definitely play a big role. Like you were saying, I know the corner store by my house sells tortillas. Um, and it's like way easier, like if we're out to run to the corner store versus to run to the supermarket that's further. And it's just like buy one pack and you're done. Like. It, I think it's more so for the things that you need in that moment, and I think that's like a big role that they play. Yeah. Do you think that that um, kind of fits into the larger um, discussion that people have about 
food deserts and the way that like the access of certain types of foods because I know that some corner stores they provide kind of the same thing so like um, a lot of like different types of like commonly seen bread um, like I haven't seen a lot with like a lot of like fresh fresh like vegetables but a lot of like packaged goods um, and do you think that that is also like something that kind of came up in the conversation was like people's access to certain types of foods because there is those are foods regardless like nonetheless but like there's um, different types of foods than what you see in like a supermarket well it's undeniable that these corner stores have um I guess for lack of better words, you know, like full access to a majority of the items that most big chain markets would. Mm, they certainly have, you know, like where there's, there are corner stores out there that would have like frozen meats, for instance. So you could definitely go in and get some, uh, some, some meat. Um, they got tortillas, they got beans. Now, again, there's no denying it that some of them don't, some if not all, don't offer any um, frozen vegetables and a lot of the many other things that bigger supermarkets do offer. Calling them a food desert, I can see why that would come up. I wouldn't say that it is exactly mm -hmm. a desert yeah. since there's definitely some offerings some in there. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I guess I'm just going to go and make the argument that these stores have been there for a while and mm -hmm. they most certainly know what it is that the community is buying. And as any store would, they usually just stock what it is that people buy. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any additional comments or no. story? Remember, we're live at Cafeteria Yesenia. We're Pop-Up Youth Radio. I'm Cynthia. I'm Andrea. I'm, I'm Sebastian. And I'm Oscar. <laughs> Sebastian and, we'll and Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back, guys. Uh, we're here at Yesenias. Um, we're here with Adrian. I'm Cynthia. Oscar. I'm Michelle. Um, so first, we're going to talk about three stories that kind of had a common interest, and the interest was kind of um, the topic of immigration. So I don't know, Oscar, if you'd like to kind of give an overview of your story and I guess if you want uh, an interesting thing that you found out. Okay. So as we briefly discussed earlier in the last segment, I wrote a story regarding immigration, more specifically about, uh, you know, getting dark theme here about ICE and the recent raids that they've been doing around the area. Now, it's quite unfortunate that these people are okay with doing a job where it really is just separating families and just, you know, it's just people come here for a better life and these guys have absolutely no problem sending them back with absolutely nothing. So what I made sure to do for my story was to go out and just interview a, someone who was in an organization, um, you know, just make sure that I got the perspective of someone who was helping these families and get some information regarding what resources were available and how exactly people can counter these raids. Now, some of the information that I gathered regarding this was that they handed out pamphlets, flyers, and sometimes even little cards, and these cards would have this text on it that basically have their rights written down, you know, like, I do not consent to a search, you need a warrant, um, you know, I don't need to speak, plead the fifth, whatnot, you know, just basic rights right there, and I thought it was pretty cool how they were going above and beyond to help people, 
Um, but that's more or less my story. You guys want to go ahead and uh, talk briefly about yours? Yeah, sure. Um, I wrote my story kind of similar to yours. Um, I kind of like, it was during that same time around like the ice raids and stuff like that. I, I saw that more people were trying to get help, um, you know, either like try to gain legal status or just know more about their rights. So uh, what I was talking about in my story was like assistance programs in Little Village. Um, and it was a little bit of a struggle throughout the story, trying to get the interview, um, either with people or with uh, an organization. I mean, I went with Oscar and he already knows it was pretty bad trying to get that people interview. People are afraid and it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was understandable, I guess, um, the fear that they saw at the time. And that's another thing that I wrote about. Um, just people, uh, they were afraid of what was happening at the time. They were afraid that they were going to be separated. And I'm a scary looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I don't know, it was, it was a really fun experience, though, writing uh, the story. Um, and eventually I did get my interview, and that's when everything kind of just started. Uh, flowing and coming together. You want to tell us about yours, Cynthia? Sure. Um, so mine talked more so about the American dream and kind of the idea of what it was before versus what it is now. Uh, so I interviewed um, a DACA recipient who was brought to the U.S. as a child, and then I interviewed someone who came, um, like in their early 20s, now a mother who lives in the Little Village neighborhood. Um, but I think one of the most interesting things that I found out was I would like ask everybody what they thought of when they heard the phrase the American dream. I know I asked you guys um, and everyone had a different response. Like, you know, I got the usual, you go for a better life and that, that's actually what I named um, the piece, A Better Life, because uh, that was one of the most common ones. You go for a better life, you go for education, a house, money. But then there was also people who said that the American dream was just an illusion um, I know the, the mom said that the American dream is not for everybody because not everybody has the opportunity to attain it. Um, so I think it was really interesting. Um, it was kind of an idea that I always had in my head and it was pretty cool to actually finally be able to execute it and I'm really happy with the way it turned out. We have another guest. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us about your story? Um, my name is Michelle. Uh, I wrote a story that surrounded around a block party that took place in back of the yards. Um, La Casa Norte was the organization that planned this block party. They had different activities for like children and for adults and they had lots of resource tables. So in my story I included Planned Parenthood and how it might have been very surprising to like see Planned Parenthood at block party. but. At the same time, it's very important for Planned Parenthood to be there and other resources like Planned Parenthood because um, they give out resources and information that people in Back of the Arts and in other neighborhoods like Back of the Arts to know about and to have. I think I saw Planned Parenthood once at one event and I was like, oh, you know, I had never seen them there and I was like, it's pretty important for them to be there. Um, I think that's one thing that kind of always lacked and I was kind of happy that they were there just so for the youth. So we've generally done like collaboration with Planned Parenthood in the past, but I'm curious as to what they were doing at the event. Would you maybe give us a little bit of insight of what they were possibly, you know, doing there? Um, they were letting like parents and anyone who was like interested in the resource table know like 
the type of programs they have for people in back of the yards since like many people in back of the yards are low income and like it's a community of color and we don't get as many resources as other communities do. So they were letting us know like different programs and systems that they have that allow us to have access to Planned Parenthood and to like other resources like them. Um, they talked about a certain program that allowed them to pay the amount of money they can pay. So um, they, they showed them a specific amount of money that you can only have and you could only pay that type. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I think that's all we have for today. Remember, we're Pop-Up Youth Radio. Uh, we were here broadcasting live from Cafeteria Yesenia's in Back of the Yards. Thank you so much to the Gate newspaper, um, to everyone from the Gates, all the YOLO students. Um, I'm Cynthia. I'm Adrian. This is Oscar. I'm Michelle. Uh, thank you so much for everyone in controls, Mickey and Sebastian, um, social media and post-production, Emmanuel. Again, Cafeteria Yesenia's for hosting us. And thank you for listening. Youth Radio is a project of Yolokali Arts Reach and is a youth-led, community-centered, pop-up internet radio program. Hello, it's me. I haven't heard from you in a while. I hope it's because you're listening and enjoying our amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, amazing, astonishing, highly amazing <gasps> production. If not, you should listen to our radio show, What's Up, again. In the meantime, we'll be working on the next one here in Lumpin Radio. So stay tuned to our next amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, astonishing, highly amazing broadcast. I hope that you are informed about the awesome parts of life and that you will have a splendid day. Don't forget to listen to us on SoundCloud at Yolokali. On social media like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr at Yolokali, or visit at YolokaliArtsReach.org for more. We are the